The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The word of the Lord. Excuse me. So we have more kids in the service today than normal, so I want to invite them up, whoever's willing. If you consider yourself a kid, uh, which is maybe 10 years old and younger, um, and you can actually walk up here, or you want to walk up here, I'd love to, for you to come and join me on the steps. I've got a little kid's sermon, kid's homily for you. Come on, Elliot, you're the preacher's kid. You've got to come up first. <clears throat> I know it's unusual, but... We're not going to ask you to do anything but listen. Anyone else? Merry Christmas, kiddos. It's good to have you. I'm glad that you're here, and thanks for being brave to come up here and get near me. I know that's kind of scary and intimidating, but... Everyone knows it's Christmas time, especially the stores and the radio stations, right? Because there are Christmas songs playing constantly. Does anyone have any favorite Christmas songs? Oh, Holy Night. That's a great one, yeah? All of them. Okay. Does anyone want to sing one of their Christmas songs? Probably not. Well, let's test your memory here. So there's one that... It's been around since I was a kid. You better not, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town. Yeah. Anyone know the next line? How's the next line go? Uh huh. Knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Yes. Perfect. But that line is kind of scary, isn't it? Does Santa see you all year? And what if you haven't been good all year? That doesn't sound very good, that he's watching you and that if you haven't been good, you're not going to get any presents. Do you think that's how Santa really is? No, I don't think he is. In fact, I'm sure that's not how Santa is. In fact, did you know that one of his names, St. Nick, have you heard that before? Yeah, well, he was a real person. And he was a bishop, which is like a pastor, and he inherited a whole lot of money. And instead of keeping it to himself, he used to give it secretly to kids in the city that he lived in, especially poor kids. Now, that sounds a little bit more like Santa, right? Yeah, that he gives people secret gifts. But we know that Christmas also celebrates someone else, and who is that? And that's a good answer. You can pretty much answer that to any question, right? And you'll be, you'll be safe, at least in here. So, what do we celebrate about Jesus? What did He come to do? He was born to, does anyone know? That's right, to save us, to bring salvation and to bring peace to our hearts and to our world. And when I was a kid, 
I used to come downstairs because there were all sorts of presents. My parents made it a big deal. <clears throat> and I would have a lot of presents and a lot of small presents, a lot of medium presents, but I always had that one big present, which was usually reserved for the very end. And I would wait for that one big gift. Well, Jesus is God's big gift to us. That's the thing that we unwrap and we look forward to and we can't wait to open because it's so much bigger and so much better than all of our other gifts. And you know what? He knows if you've been bad or good, but He gives gifts anyway because He loves you and because He's gracious, and that's just how God is, and that's just how Jesus is. So as you open gifts tomorrow, and I hope you have a wonderful time. I hope you get exactly what you want, and it's a wonderful time for your family and for you. I hope that you'll remember, too, that God gives you a gift that will never wear out, and it will never break, and it will never get old like anything that you might open tomorrow, because He gives you the gift of eternal life and eternal peace in His Son, Jesus. So, Run back to your seats and try and remember that tomorrow, okay? And thanks for coming up. <clears throat> so let's pray now for our non-kid sermon. Father, I do pray that as we open gifts tomorrow and as we give gifts, uh, that you would give us delight and joy as we see the smiles on each other's faces and the delight that comes in receiving a gift from our brother or our sister or a parent or a child. And Father, I pray that as we look to you as our parent, that we would remember that you withheld nothing from us, that you want our best, that you want our good, and that you give us the gift of your son Jesus. And we pray that we would rejoice in him, not only tomorrow, but throughout the new year. I pray in his name. Amen. So, one of the more strange websites around Christmas time, it's a little bizarre, is the, the Santa Tracker. I don't know if you'll go and look at that this Christmas Eve with your son or daughter to see where Santa is. I don't know how they propose to track him, but anyone know who the Santa Tracker is run by? Who? Google, well, that would be a good guess. It's actually NORAD, North American Aerospace Defense Command. Now, this is a gimmick, of course, a gimmick website, but why would they want a gimmick website? They're the Air Force, and why would they want you to click on their website? It's a hyper-secure military installation that's in charge of our nuclear arsenal, so why have a phone number? Why have a website? Well, there's a remarkable story behind why this website exists. In 1955, uh, Sears, the Sears store, if you're my age or, young, or older, you probably know what Sears is and remember the Sears catalog. Well, the store in Colorado Springs actually set up a number to call and talk to Santa. And you could tell, this was for kids, you could tell Santa what you wanted for Christmas, particularly from the Sears catalog. So you understand why that number existed, right? There's a reason to that. Well, it turns out they gave out the wrong number. 
And instead of a call bank of people pretending to be Santa Claus, this number rang to the red phone on the desk of the general that was in charge of NORAD. Well, no one ever called this red phone. It never rang, and if it did ring, things were not going so well because only the president and a few other generals even knew that this number existed. But it did ring, and it rang fairly close, close to Christmas. And so the general ran over and picked up the red phone expecting that the president was going to be on the line calling for a nuclear strike. But instead, it was a little girl, and she was calling to talk to Santa. So the general, greatly relieved that the world wasn't about to end, decided to play along and pretend that he was Santa. This is the story, at least, as I've heard it. So if you doubt me, go look it up on Google. That's a good place to find out the truth. But as far as I know, this is all true. Well, after talking to this girl for a few minutes, he asked to speak to the little girl's parents, and they figured out what had happened. And pretty soon he deduced that not only was this girl going to call, but many kids from around Colorado Springs were going to be calling throughout the Christmas season. So instead of just changing the number, all of the eager kids, and let all of the eager kids learning, learn that Santa's number has been disconnected, the base that is carved into the middle of this mountain decided just to set up a phone bank themselves and answer kids' calls. And so this phone that rang in the event of war rang because a little child wanted to talk to Santa. The phone that only rings in the event of war, on the other end of the phone was this small, peaceful voice of a child. And at Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus came into a world that was bent on war, that was ringing for war, and into that dangerous, into that violent world, God sent a little child who would speak words of peace over our world. The greatest words of hope, the greatest words of peace, if we're to believe this story of Christmas, come from the most unlikely of places. They come from one who's not born into a palace, who's not born into military might, but is born into poverty, is born on the run from a bloodthirsty king who wants to kill him. We all need words of peace, do we not? Wherever we're coming from this morning, whether we believe this story, whatever our motivations are for being here, don't we live in a world that is starving for peace? And don't we inhabit lives that are full of conflict and anxiety and sometimes violence? Well, the Christmas story is a global story. It's far more than just a story of how we as individuals can find personal peace with God, but how God comes into our world to bring peace for our entire world globally. He comes as the Prince of Peace. And that's a very political term, as Isaiah understands it. In the Hebrew mindset, they weren't awaiting a Messiah that would simply bring personal forgiveness 
You see, they already had that in Yahweh. That was already available. That was not the primary thing that they were waiting on in the Messiah. What they were waiting on was a very political and a very earthy, very tangible peace. And that's what Isaiah is actually talking about. This is a coronation liturgy for a new king. Well, it may be a bit of a stretch to compare the urgency of our political situation and the needs of our world and of our nation to theirs because their nation was in utter freefall. And they were overrun by a foreign army that was very violent. But as I talk to people, and as I'm sure as you talk to people, as you read the news and as I listen to my own heart, ours is a time that is brimming with conflict and brimming with anxiety, such that it's so easy to see our fellow humans as adversaries and opponents and as threats. And it's so easy also to attach not only our our voting privilege, but attach ourselves and attach our sort of meta hopes to movements and to people and to leaders who are offering a particular strategy for peace that aligns with our political persuasion. We believe and we buy into these narratives of decline, and we buy into all kinds of schemes for making America great again, whether that's on the right or on the left. And so we, we scan Facebook, we scan Twitter, we go to Breitbart, we go to Huffington Post, refreshing constantly to see what's happening. We want to stay dialed in, we want to know what's going on, but at the, on the other hand, we leave that moment and we feel even greater anxiety and agitation. We're looking for signs that our side is winning and that peace will come through this particular political strategy. And we find ourselves, and I hope I'm not just speaking of myself, oscillating between exhilaration when we see signs of goodness, see something that's happening that means that things are changing for the better. We oscillate between exhilaration to outrage because of someone's latest tweet. Well, friends, this is how it will always be if these are our signs for peace. This is how it will always be if we're looking to movements and leaders and parties to attach our meta-hopes to, to attach our future to. But Isaiah says that there's another sign. And if you go back two chapters to chapter 7, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And that means God with us, that God has not forgotten our world, that God doesn't sit remote and he doesn't sit distant and he doesn't sit silent, but in the person of his son, Jesus, he walks upon the earth. He knows and he experiences its brokenness and he promises to redeem it. 
He promises a lasting peace. He says, Isaiah says, that this Messiah is the king, the prince of eternal peace, and that his birth is the sign that there's reason to hope. And he puts all earthly kings and all earthly platforms on notice that their reign is fading and that their reign is temporary. Now, I finally saw The Last Jedi on Friday. Don't worry, no spoilers. Hope you'll all go see it. I'm a bit of a Star Wars nerd, so I was a little bit saddened that I wasn't able to see it for like an entire week after it had come out. But we went to the 11 o'clock show on Friday because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a madhouse. And I wanted to make sure I could sit in the middle row, middle left and right, middle front and back, and have just the perfect viewing experience. And it was that. I got to go see the, the um, New Hope in 1977 with my dad. And so, as the new Star Wars has co- have come out the last couple of years, I've taken my kids, and it's just been this amazing joy to let them experience my joy. And so, I may have gotten a little bit misty as the credits started coming on, as that first scroll came up. And certainly, as Carrie Fisher came on screen, I was a little bit saddened by that. But like many, if not all, of the movies in the Star Wars canon, this film is about hope. It's about hoping and longing for peace. And Luke Skywalker is living in self-imposed exile, and he is living there because he's given up hope. His failures have confined him to a hopeless existence. And Rey, the new hero in the new trilogy, has come to him because he is her hope. If only he can convince him to rejoin the rebellion against the First Order, they might have real hope for fighting for peace against the war machine of the First Order. Why does this ragtag group of overmatched, outgunned rebels continue to fight? Why do they keep against all odds pressing for peace and pushing against the forces of darkness? Well, it's actually verbalized by Supreme Leader Snoke, a new character that we haven't seen except in the new trilogy. And he's sort of the embodiment of evil. He sits on this big throne and he enforces chaos. And he makes sure that there's no reason to hope in this galaxy. And he says... As long as the seed of the Jedi lives, hope lives in the galaxy. When the birth of Jesus, God planted a seed of hope, you see, a seed of hope that peace actually is possible and that it will one day come in our world. As long as He lives, there is hope for peace in our time, hope for peace in our galaxy. And in Rogue One, Cassian tells Jen, rebellions are built on hope. Jesus, you see, disappointed just about every notion of hope that existed in his world, every strategy of peace that held currency in his time, he disappointed them. 
because he came saying that it was he who was the Prince of Peace, not Caesar, not a religious strategy, no other king, no other party, no other platform, but he and he alone was the Prince of Peace. And so people ignored him, particularly religious people. So this Christmas, especially for those of us who belong to in-town, especially those of us who are religious about this season, we need to ask, will we give up hopes in our political platforms and our political parties and those leaders that we have invested so much time and that we've attached, unfortunately, our future and our identity and our belonging and our hopes to? This Christmas, will we look instead to the Prince of peace. First, for inner peace, because you can only extend peace if you have peace, if you're a person of peace. That we look to King Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and we look to His life and His death and His resurrection for our eternal peace. That we now have peace with God that can never be negotiated and never be taken away but also that He invites us now in an unlikely rebellion that is pushing against the forces of darkness, against all odds, that we are living in such a way now to anticipate a still-coming peace that only He can fully assure and can fully establish, but which we can now make choices to live into and live because of. And this future is so set in stone certain that when the Apostle Paul talks about the three words that describe following following Jesus, faith and love and hope, this word that he uses for hope, it doesn't describe sort of a personal attitude that I'm in the business of hoping, I'm trying to conjure up hope. It doesn't describe just a personal attitude or sentiment but rather this hope describes an objective accomplishment, something that God has done that is so set in stone certain that His followers, Jesus' followers, anticipate that reality in the present. Hope then is actually living it out and living because of this objective reality that God has come in the person of His Son as the Prince of Peace. Hope, you see, is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It doesn't come just by divine decree, at least not yet. But peace comes through people of peace going about their daily lives, actively living out that hope and actively resisting the darkness, resisting the empire, if you like the Star Wars metaphor. Resisting it both externally where you see it, as the hymn says that the hope goes out as far as the curse is found. Every way that the curse has infected our world, Christians are to push against it and to live a reality of hope into those places of darkness externally, but also as we identify the fact that many parts and many places in our own hearts are full of darkness that need to be extinguished by the light. And so we ask Jesus to bring that hope, bring that peace internally. 
Christmas, you see, planted a seed of hope that our longings for peace on earth are attached to something real, that our hopes are not in vain, that all of us as a society of hope, a people of hope, there's a reason that that instinct is there, and that reason is that God has created us to hope. He's created us to seek peace. And these hopes for peace are rooted in God Himself who wants to bring peace. They are rooted in His rebellion against the darkness. So I invite you to pray that this coming year, today, tomorrow, that you would be a person of peace who is able to bring peace in the dark places in your world and that you would invite Jesus to bring peace in the dark places of your heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make in town to be an institution that is so committed to peace, to peace in people's lives outside of these doors and into our city's life, that we would sacrifice on behalf of bringing that peace, that seeking peace is a cost and it's a sacrifice. And so I pray that we would stand up and be counted that we would say, I will do that. I will go forth. I will sacrifice. I will give. And I pray that we would be energized as such. And Father, as each of us are called into our daily working life, our school life, our life in our families, our life in our homes, that we would be people of peace, that we'd be so compelled by the peace that you have given us in our inner person that we would connect that to other people, that we would give that peace away verbally and in action. Father, we pray that you would do this. We pray that you would do this because it's Christmas and you are a giving God. And we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.